Thanks, Eunice. Thanks for leading us in prayer and, um, yeah, for leading the church as part of the leadership team too. It's um, a privilege to lead together with the team that we lead with. And it's a privilege to be here to share the word again this morning. Um, and I hope you feel welcome um, if you're a regular One Hope uh, watcher or partner or member. Uh, even if you're not, we just pray that you would feel like you're part of our community this morning. My name's Andrew. For those of you that don't know me, um, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, it's been a privilege, uh, challenge, but a privilege to lead through this time as well. Um, I don't know if you were watching last week. If you were, Joel shared a great word um, and a warning against drifting away and helping us to understand how critical it is for us to stay close, to stay connected, um, to activate that relationship with God that, that keeps us close to him so that we don't drift away. And I thought it was a wonderful, encouraging message. And there's probably a little bit of a connection uh, with what I want to share today. Um, next week, we're going to be beginning a new series, um, uh, a short series. Uh, God is looking at some of the wonderful attributes of God. But for this week and today, um, something a little different. And perhaps that's a little different to what you're used to from me, and it's different from me as well. It's not a normal sermon as such. Um, I guess when I was wondering what I was, what, what I was thinking it was, I was thinking it was a bit more of a, perhaps a pastoral word um, to myself um, and to you. You know, we've had COVID with us for the last six months or more, and it'd be fair to say that it has been the point of discussion, uh, theorizing, opinion, uh, fear, confusion, argument, pretty much all that time, hasn't it? For many of us, if not most of us, it hasn't just changed our lives, it's actually dominated our lives. And I don't know if you feel like that. And, and I know that we, uh, we mention it in the services, but we've never really particularly addressed it. You know, like many of you, I have struggled with it as well. Um, agreeing sometimes with things, then disagreeing with things uh, for some things and then perhaps against some things, uh, understanding it and getting it and then not getting it. There's a flurry of words and feelings and questions like uh, lockdowns, social distance, masks, justice, what's right, um, conspiracy theories, Tension in the air. I don't know if you've noticed that tension everywhere you go. What's true? You know, I listen to one expert and I think, mm, yeah, that, that sounds about right to me. And then I listen to the other side and I think, oh, that sounds about right as well. Asking myself, how should I respond? Uh, how should we respond? And probably more critically, how do I respond? And, and for me personally, it's not always good. I have to be honest. You know, I vacillate between two camps. I'm, I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm in one camp one minute and the next camp the other minute. And, um, and you, we've had, I've had seasons of feeling down and an abnormal interest in the news, even though I know that it riles me up and it gets me going. Emotionally tired, angry, annoyed, critical. Talking to people that have both views, and as a pastor, listening to people that have both views and, and having to remain neutral and um, actually not even sure what is right. Is there a conspiracy? Um, 
Talking about a vaccine. That's a hot topic. Perhaps we won't go there. What should I think or do with that? Talk of civil disobedience and should the church meet and how long can this go for? And probably what's begun to make me, what's probably prompted me to think about this for the last few weeks and talk about it is that people are beginning to be vicious in their words and their actions. And initially it was easy because I was reading it, you know, amongst Christians and non-Christians in America or in Europe or any contacts I have. But increasingly there are Christians that are speaking out against each other, being vicious. Social media has become a battleground of words and opinions and vitriol and more. Even here in Australia, there's uh, increasing hostility between people. Someone said, I read something this week, someone said that there are now nations that are more divided than they ever were in civil wars. Think about that for a minute. Add to COVID the, the political battles at the moment, and we're watching one play out in the United States, but we have them here uh, in Victoria, in Australia as well. Political battles amongst politicians, but also amongst the average punter on the street. And everyone, including myself, is a political genius. In short, to, to sum that all up, perhaps also like you, I feel like I'm in a storm. It's a stormy period for pretty much all of us. Emotional tiredness is beginning to catch up and, and it's real. And it comes because the end isn't in sight. And um, people and psychologists and, and, and uh, counsellors would say that um, emotional tiredness grows and gets bigger when you can't see the end. And I think that's what we're experiencing. But it is a reality that we're in. And so what is the right response? What is the right way to act or, or to look at it? You know, I'm asked at times, what do you think? You know, people will ask me, what do you think? And I don't know. And when I do think I know, I begin to doubt myself. I'm asked, what about church? How long can this go? How long should it go? Um, the truth is, I don't know. And, and if, I really, if I'm really honest... I'm not sure, even at times, how to lead in this and how to make a decision around that. But this is what I do know. This is true. That God has not abandoned us. We still have a role to play as followers of Jesus, even now in the midst of COVID. The world might be on pause. Everything might be on pause. Jobs, the world, events. and um, The world might be on pause, but I'm convinced that the kingdom of God isn't. And there hasn't been a pause button pushed on that. And so that's what's driving me to understand how to respond. So lately I've been asking myself, I've been challenging myself to understand or try to understand better how to respond in, in myself, but also outwardly as I speak to other people and as I respond to things that I see, how we as followers of Christ can. And perhaps today what I want to share is my best attempt right now to help myself, to help us to see how we might respond. I realise fully that what I'm sharing today, um, this might be a case of where angels fear to tread. And, and in the office we've talked about it and I've mentioned how I'm wondering whether this is a good idea. And I know that there's always yes but situations and examples. So I'm under no illusion that this is exclusive or exhaustive or the only thing that needs to be thought about. 
and added to that, the situation is changing all the time. You know, we're waiting on tender hooks for our Premier to speak to us on Sunday about more changes. And so every week we seem to be in this thing where the things are changing. And we all hope for change for the positive, don't we? And so perhaps this is a progress or a process of my thoughts. What should I think? What would God want of me in this situation? What would God want of his followers, us as a church? Maybe a bit of a way forward, a way to look through it. Could good possibly come from this situation? Is there an opportunity here for me? Is there an opportunity here for us? When I think of a storm in the Bible, uh, there's a couple that come to mind. One of them that comes to mind is the disciples. Jesus decides that he wants to go away and pray and the disciples head out onto the lake and a storm hits and they're panicking because the wind blows up and, and um, they're being buffeted by the waves. And you might remember the story. Jesus comes walking on the water. It's the old famous Peter walks on water, Jesus walks on water thing. Jesus comes walking on the water, but the first thing they do is they freak out. They think it's a ghost. They, they're in a storm. They're already panicking and they freak out. They think it's a ghost. Jesus' response when they, they start crying out and crying out in fear, he says, don't be afraid. It is I. Now, those three words, it is I, in the original Greek are just two words. In the original Greek, it says, do not be afraid. I am. Jesus used the same words that God used when Abraham was afraid. When Abraham said, but God, who will go with me? You know, and, and, and how, what, what will happen? And God said, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am. Those exact same words are used in that story when the disciples are in the storm. Now, the disciples were Jews and they understood what Jesus was saying when he said, do not be afraid. I am. Jesus was taking the same name that they knew that God had given himself. And David had said in the Psalms too, and they, they, knew, they knew some of the Psalms, and David had said in the Psalms, those who know, and know in the intimacy sense, those who know his name, that I am, can trust him, even in the storms. So you can imagine the disciples on hearing that, how that would speak to their heart, speak to their understanding of the God that they worshipped. So Jesus is saying, you can trust me, I am. Don't be afraid, I am. So we can trust him in the storm as well. Maybe your job's been threatened, maybe your health's been threatened, or family, someone you love, a grandparent or a, a parent. Um, your business is, has come under enormous pressure. We had a prayer time for business, the business world last week and we, we saw the pressure that that's under. Church is one of those things that we struggle with and that I struggle with and many of us struggle with. But Jesus says, don't be afraid, I am. Recently we did a series on the I am statements. I don't know if you remember that. I certainly hope you do because we, uh, we enjoyed it. And each one of those I am statements showed us a little bit of an aspect of Jesus' character, didn't, I? didn't it? Um, I am the bread of life. I am I'm the provider. I'm the one that, that takes care of you. I am the door. I am the way into the kingdom. I am the good shepherd. I, I lay down my life for my sheep. But the last one was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to look at this last one, and especially that I am the truth. That's that I am. Jesus uses that I am. I am the truth. Have you asked lately, I have, 
or have you seen um, <clears throat> or heard discussions on what's the truth? What's the truth around this whole situation? Um, and it's hard to find it, isn't it? You know, politically, uh, what's the truth? Um, you know, are, are the politicians doing the right thing by us? Uh, what's true about the virus? What's true about vaccines? And everything that we're dealing with at the moment is, is wrapped around a, a wondering whether we're being led up the garden path or what is the truth? Well, Jesus said he was the truth. He said, I am the truth. Jesus was in the middle of a full-on conspiracy when he was here on earth against him. Religious institutions, um, in fact, the opposing people that would normally oppose each other, like the Sadducees and Pharisees, actually banded together, laid down their weapons against each other to go against Jesus. Religious institutions were against him. Political institutions were conspiring against Jesus. Even one guy in his own team was part of the conspiracy. And at the pinnacle of that conspiracy, at the point when it all come, when push comes to shove and it had been going for a little while, Jesus is before Pilate and he says this in John chapter 18. There's a bit of an exchange between Pilate and, and, and Jesus. John chapter 18 verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is the truth? Sometimes I feel like Pilate. We feel like Pilate. What is the truth? In our storm, what is the truth? And it can be so hard at times because there are so many voices, there are so many things. And if you're like me, like I was saying at the start, in the morning I'm on this side and I'll read something else and in the afternoon I'm this side. And I don't know if you're like that at all. There's so many things, isn't there? You know, social distance is the best way to beat this virus. Versus social distance makes no difference. COVID is no worse than a flu than just a serious flu, as opposed to COVID is 20 times more virulent and deadly than a normal flu. Masks don't help at all. They don't make any difference at all to the virus. Versus masks can actually stop up to 40% of virus transmission. Bill Gates is a lovely rich guy and he just wants to help uh, the world with his, his wealth. Bill Gates wants world domination and his vaccine is to gain power through money. Or worse, a Christian site I read said the vaccine is a way for Bill Gates to inject a chip into us. I actually read that. Churches should gather. It's safe. There's no problem. Churches need to follow the rules. It's an intimate place. It's an emotional place where the risk of transmission is high. The government are just on a power trip. They're just trying to control us. This virus isn't that bad. The government's actually trying to protect us to make sure that the society is safe. I could go on. And you've probably been part of many of those discussions yourself. And these discussions are also happening amongst Christians, aren't they? Everyone has an opinion. And everyone's an expert. And again, I am guilty of this. And I'm, I'm saying that up front here. I, I'm doing the same. So who do we trust? Do we trust the government? Do we trust the state government or the federal government? 
Or are they part of the conspiracy too? Are they discriminating against us as churches and against us as Christians? Which is probably already true in some countries perhaps. Or are they working to discriminate against churches to create this new world order? And yeah, I read that too. Can I trust the news? Can I trust the media? Can I trust Facebook? I want to laugh after saying that. Can I trust that? Each, each of us is in this tsunami of information, of opinions and ideas. So what is the truth? Which of these is true? Well, Jesus said, I am the truth. And when I thought about that, and I began this process a couple of weeks ago, mostly because I was annoyed at myself, I was almost relieved when I pondered that. When I thought about Jesus, I said, I am the truth. The truth isn't just an idea or an opinion. The truth isn't just now in this situation. It's a person. I need not worry about which source is true or has the truth, because I know the truth is a person. And if I want to know what's true, and if I want to know what's right, I'll stick close, uh, that, that have that intimacy, I'll have that connection with that person. You know, it reminds me again of Joel's message last week, wasn't it? You know, not to drift, that if I want to know what's right and true, if I want to discover, then I need to stay close to I am. I am the truth. The truth is a person. Especially now in this uncertain and confusing and disturbing time, this is a comfort for me. In a time when it's hard to discern about individual situations what's true and right, we need to walk closely with, the Bible uses the language, abide with, have a close connection with Jesus. That we can relax and find rest in Him. Is rest elusive for you these days? You know, my sleep gets stolen a bit and, and I guess that's true for many of us. Because in that place, abiding with Jesus, we find certainty. Certainty that we can always trust this person of truth. He is the truth. He continues to care for us and he will take us through this. Not our government, not epidemiologists, not the people with the right opinions. It's Jesus who will take us through this. Now, if you walk closely with the truth... And today I want to share some of the progress of my thoughts I was saying. If you walk closely with the truth, Jesus, something happens. There's fruit. When you hang out with the, with the truth, there's fruit. When you abide with Jesus, there's fruit. You respond differently, perhaps. And sadly, I think this is what I've found a little missing, especially amongst us as Christians. I've read articles and posts of Christians here in Australia and as I said before, in Europe and the US, arguing, name-calling, not only against non-Christians, as if that would be okay, but even against each other as Christians. Bad language, spite, name-calling, accusations. It's embarrassing, and it's actually a bit frightening that that's beginning to happen. Well, what did Jesus say? about bearing fruit. What should the fruit of being close to Jesus be? If we confess to be Christians and we are abiding with Jesus, what did Jesus say about bearing fruit? Have a look with me at John chapter 15. Just a couple of verses, John chapter or one verse rather, John chapter 15 verse 5. Jesus said, "I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, 
you can do nothing. So if we stick with Jesus, we will bear fruit. Now, there's fruit, but I just mentioned that it's not grapefruit. So what is that fruit? We need to have a bit of a look, and we need to have a look at Galatians here. And these are well-known verses, you'll all know them. Galatians 5 verse 22. What is Galatians? What is the fruit that us as people who abide with Jesus, who stay close to the I am, the truth, should be bearing? And we know this verse. I'll read it out anyway. Verse 22 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When I said all of those words, were you thinking, yeah, that's Facebook? No, you weren't, and I wasn't either. The fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit Jesus in us, abiding. The first one there, it starts with the word love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then the others follow. Some commentators say that love is the fruit, and it's a bit like an orange that all those other parts, like love is the orange and all those other things are parts of that there are expressions of love, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness are expressions of love. This is the fruit that we as Christians, me included, ought to show even now. We should be the most loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful and gentle and having self-control people on the whole earth right now, right in the middle of COVID even. It's confronting for me. We should as no other be expressing the love of God right now. And that is actually the message that the world needs. Wouldn't it be amazing if when they logged onto Facebook or when they watched the news or opened the papers that that would be the message that would confront them. Jesus is the truth and the truth is love. And we have an opportunity as his ambassadors to influence the world with that love. And love does something. When you, when you are joyful, when you are peaceful and patient, when you're loving, it does something. What does it act like? What does it look like? What does it respond like? And, and Paul helped us understand that in Corinthians, didn't he? In 1 Corinthians 13, and that famous chapter on love, he wanted us to understand what it actually, that, that love wasn't just a terminology, it wasn't just a, something to keep inside, but that it actually had expression. And he said in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't name call. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, puts up with things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Verse 7. In another uh, verse 7, in, a, in another um, translation or another version of the Bible, it says this it says, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. What we see around us and in us is mistrust, despair, anger, accusations, rude, unkind, and sadly, that's even between people of God. And those are not the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the fruits of darkness. Love is opposed to mistrust. When we read Paul's words, love is opposed to mistrust. It's opposed to suspicion. It's it's opposed to an opposite of despair. You know, there 
There are talks of conspiracy theories even amongst Christians. Well, there is one conspiracy theory, one that we know is true, and that's the enemy against us. His goal, the enemy's goal, his conspiracy is to destroy humanity, destroy the church, destroy uh, any semblance of God amongst creation. To distract us, to, to set us against each other, to, to make us struggle. Causing us to treat those with opposing opinions as an enemy. And Paul knew this and that's why he said in Colossians to the Colossian church, he said, Let the message of Christ dwell among you, live among you as you teach and admonish. So let that message of Christ that he is the truth and that the truth is love, let that be the temperature or the temperament as you teach and admonish one another as they had disagreements. And in Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of faith by the bond of the Spirit. Those are really applicable words in this situation, in this day. The Bible says that our fight is not against flesh and blood, it's against the devil. So in a time like this, I want to try, try to behave and respond like Jesus did and showed us. You know, Jesus, as I said, Jesus was in the, was in the thick of a, a real and vicious conspiracy. How did Jesus respond to those people? How did he respond to Judas? He was on his team, remember? This is one of his team. And, um, and, and think about it. Jesus knew what he was going to do. Judas was on his team of 12 and Jesus knew what he was going to do. And what did he do? He washed Judas' feet too. He included Judas too. And when Judas came to the garden with the, with the soldiers to betray Jesus and to give him a kiss... What did Jesus say? He didn't say, you filthy traitor, you unchristian rebel, you false believer. It says, he said, friend. In the Greek, that word is, is translated, in, it, mate. He called him his friend. Jesus remained loving till the end. He never sowed mistrust or suspicion. You remember, he knew what, he knew what um, Judas was going to do and he didn't pull the other 11 aside and say, listen out, guys, just watch out for him because uh, he's a bit of a bad apple. He's going to go bad and you make sure he doesn't influence you. He never did that. Jesus kept loving through the beatings, through the thorns, through the humiliation. And his words were, Father, forgive them. Ultimately, when he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And that needs to be my attitude too. It needs to be your attitude. Even if our government, our, our authorities or large pharma or whatever were, were to be tools of conspiracy, that, that I, that we would have that same attitude. Father, forgive them. Show them your, your love because they don't know what they're doing. Yet so often I see the opposite in me. Jesus said in John, when in that in John 17, in, in the in the prayer around John 17, he said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, with the truth, with love, I'm sending you. And later on he said, Father, he was praying to his father, he said, Father, as you have sent me, so I send them. The way that you sent me, with the message that you sent me, I am sending them. And that includes me, and that includes you. In the same way, with the same attitude, representing him. That's Jesus' intent for me and us. 
And that's his intent for us in normal times, and we kind of know that. But when the pressure cooker's on in a situation like that, that's also his intent for us. Paul said this in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. He said, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In another translation, follow God's example in Jesus. Do like Jesus did. Have the attitude of Christ in the good times and in the pressure cooker. No one can legislate or lock down love. They can discriminate against us. They can stop you from meeting your family, from going to funerals, from having weddings. They can stop you from meeting as a church. They can stop you doing your job. They can, they can hinder you running your business. They can stop you doing many things, but they can't stop you from loving. It's the strongest weapon that we have. Now you might be thinking, and, and I think to myself, okay, Andrew, that's all technically true. And, you know, I can't argue with the word, and you read it out of the Bible, but it's impossible for us to love like Jesus. Yes, it is. That's why Jesus said, remain, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why Joel's message was so important to us last week. So important for me and for you. Apart from him, we can do abide, do not drift, stay with Jesus, stay with the truth. Aspire to live in the same attitude as Jesus. Because you can't. Jesus said, abide, remain, stay in me. When it's good, when it's easy to stay, be with me, be with me. But when it's tough, remain, hang in there. In modern language, you hang in there with me. Apart from me, you can't do this. Remember, only he who remains in me bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to do only one thing. Stay close to Jesus. Abide in him. But there is more as well, isn't it? Jesus said that the word was really important. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, your word is truth. He said, I am the truth, but your word is truth. And my reflection this week, and my question to you is, how important is the word to you? What do I read more, the newspaper, Facebook, commentary, or the word? What do you fill your mind and thoughts with? What words capture you? What influences you? What makes your day better? Or makes you down. If you're anything like me, I read some bad news and I can be really down. And I should be reading the word. Is it social media or newspapers or commentary or opinions? What, 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 what's influencing you? Or do we allow ourselves to be influenced by the word daily? Which do we allow to set the tone of our day or our week or our life? What do you tap in? to feel your emotions, to answer your questions, to set the scene for your days and your relationships. What I've been trying to do, and I say trying, is when I'm in a situation that I don't understand or struggle, and, and particularly in this situation lately, what I'm trying to do is I want to know what God's Word says. And what does it ask? Um, what, what Jesus might have said in a similar kind of situation. And then maybe have a look at Paul and, and Peter and see what they say as well. 
And as a Christian, that seems logical and the right thing to do, right? And it's what I'd like to do. So now you and I are in this COVID situation. And let me be totally upfront here. I do not always agree with the rules or the guidelines. I can't always follow the logic, I'm honestly. So then I think, okay, God, what should I do? Has Jesus said anything about this? How, how should I respond to authorities? Should I complain? That's my personal trap, ask my wife and those around me. Should I protest? Should I demonstrate? Should I rebel? Should I come in opposition? Or should I just give up? In Jesus' time, the authorities were absolutely shocking. They were oppressive. They were violent towards the Jews. Jews were placed under oppressive conditions that others weren't. So they were discriminated against. The Jews, there was a different set of rules for them. By law, they were discriminated against. And nowhere does Jesus say that they should come in opposition or rebel against authorities or protest or withhold. Do you remember the situation when the disciples kind of, they were struggling with the authorities and with the injustice and who should we pay taxes to? Do you remember that? And Jesus said, well, whose face is on this coin? Give to Caesar what's his. And remember, some of the disciples themselves were zealots, so were rebels in the first place. This must have been incredibly hard for them to see Jesus and not say, let's get up and, and start a movement and protest. They actually did start a movement. Jesus never rebelled. In fact, in Roman times, in Jesus' time, like I said, the Jews uh, had to obey the Romans in ways that no others did. And um, if a Roman soldier or a Roman was carrying something heavy, perhaps a Roman soldier was carrying this heavy pack, um, and he came across a Jew, he could say to that Jew, no matter what the Jew was doing, whether he was busy in his business or or whatever he was doing, whether it was important or not, he could demand that the Jew carry his pack immediately. And the Jew would have to do that for one mile. After one mile, the Jew could stop. And the Roman could not force him to go an extra mile. But what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Paraphrase it. Hey, let's do something radical. Let's really surprise them. If someone forces you to carry it for a mile, Let's carry it another mile. Let's live in a way that the world really doesn't get. That would have confounded the Romans. That's how Jesus dealt with it. Jesus was being asked, as it were, should we obey the Romans? And his answer, yes, and in an extreme way. They might have thought, and, and you might say, that's crazy. It's too difficult, but that's the kingdom of God. It is crazy in the world's eyes, isn't it? The kingdom principles turn everything around, and, and right now, in our situations, what would it look our situation, what would it look like if we applied those kingdom principles? There should be a huge difference between Christians and non-Christians in this time. But we often don't see that anymore, do we? Peter, you know, one of Jesus' disciples, the vocal one, he sat under Jesus' teaching and even though he agitated against it, he saw and he learned how Jesus responded. So much later on in his letter, and uh, his pastoral letter to the church, he writes to Christians that are now even under worse oppression. 
even under worse uh, pressure than they were in Jesus' time. This is the time of Nero where, where for fun they would cut the limbs off the Christians just to see them squirm. Or they would tar them with tar and, and put them in the garden for his parties to be garden lights as they screamed to their death. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2. He says, obey the human authorities for God's sake. He doesn't tell them to rise up. No, he says, do it for the Lord's sake. God has a plan for it. And just before those words, he said, live such good lives among the pagans that they will see your good deeds and glorify God. There's only one place in the New Testament where disobeying direct orders from authorities is spoken about. Peter and John are captured and they're commanded not to speak of Jesus, not to testify of Jesus, not to testify of the gospel. And as one time they said, we can't do that. We cannot obey that. We will not obey that. We must. Now, some would argue that the disciples in the early church meeting in secret uh, was disobeying. It was fear and rightly so. It wasn't by law forbidden to meet, but it was reviled, it was, uh, it was oppressed, and it was, it was, um, they were beaten and they were ridiculed, and it was, they were made difficult and worse. And as Christians, sometimes we can pull that one scripture out of context and try to use it for all sorts of situations. Situations that we might just be finding difficult or hard to live with. In our situation today, perhaps it's a little bit clearer. The rules and guidelines aren't designed to oppress or discriminate against us. They're not nice. I don't like them. They don't feel good. I would much rather be meeting with the church. I'd much rather be meeting with my family. But they're not designed just to oppress me or a particular group. Everyone is under the same set of rules, at least now in our country. They're meant to protect our health and our health system. And sometimes when I check my heart and, and read reactions, it's consume, uh, it can seem as though we're being persecuted or I feel like I am and discriminated against. I do acknowledge as I say that, that things are changing and there can and, and there perhaps will be signs that there is a seeming imbalance in the rules against churches. And there are examples of that even in this last week coming up. But as Christians, we, in this situation, when it comes to rules and, and guidelines, we want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Again, the rules don't always make sense to me and, and I see inconsistencies as you probably do. You know, qualified people, well-qualified people even disagree with each other. You get one epidemiologist says this and the other says that and you're thinking they've both got you know, the top qualifications. But what doesn't help is now that there's about six and a half million Victorians that are expert epidemiologists, me included. And we all feel that we should share it on Facebook. Let's let the government make decisions. Remember the word and submit to authority, the human authorities. You know, Titus 3, verse 1 and 2, Paul's talking to Titus. And he's saying, he, as Titus goes out, he's saying, in, verse, in the first verse of chapter 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarrelling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. 
In another version, always be ready to do what's good. And we understand what's good. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Loving, isn't it? Those are sharp and confronting words. And Paul's appealing uh, through Titus to his people and appealing to us to use our behaviour and responses to show the love of Jesus to the world. And like Peter said, through our behaviour, our attitude, our submission, we glorify God. Bringing something of his kingdom here on earth, even now. So our love and our submission and our obedience has a goal. We don't just do the second mile for no reason, just for the fun of it. It's to display and confront the world, people, with the love of God, with a difference of the kingdom, with a radical understanding. You know, there's a, st- a true story of just before the Second World War, a French timber merchant. He had a little timber shop in a, a little v- French village just before the Second World War. And one morning at about five in the morning, he woke up, he couldn't sleep anymore. And he thought, you know what, I'm just going to get out of bed and go for a walk. And his little timber yard was about, you know, probably just a, a kilometre away from where he... And so he walks up, and as he walks, gets close to his timber yard, to his horror, he sees this, this little truck, and two guys, you know, have broken the fence, and they're loading timber into the truck. Now, he's, what is he going to do? If it was me, I'd be running back and calling the police, because they didn't have mobiles then. But he goes up, and he says to the guys, guys, what are you doing? And they said, oh, we've got, a, we've got a, a job we've got to get to. He says, you guys are working very early and it's still dark. And they said, oh, yeah, we've got an early job to get to and we, and we need to get the timber and we need to get started. And he says to them, he says, well, would you like a hand loading all that timber? Of course, they're not going to say no to that. So they let him um, help. And as he's helping and they're loading up the timber, he just begins to inquire. He says, what, are you, what sort of job are you doing? What are you, what are you using this timber for? And they explain what they're using the timber for. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. He said, you shouldn't be using this timber for that job. Come over here, over this rack here. This is the timber. That's much better for that sort of job. And they're looking at him saying, well, why do you know? How do you know? And he said, I own this business. They were horrified and they stood back. And he said, wait. They began to try to run. He said, wait, wait, don't run. He said, you can have the timber for your job on one condition, that you'll let me tell you about Jesus. And history, that's a true story, and history shows that both of them became Christians. One of them actually became a pastor in France. This is what Jesus meant. That our behaviour and our responses in this situation, in situations, and many others, would be so different to the way of the world. Why? Because we have a goal. Even now in COVID, but always we have a goal. The kingdom of God established here on earth. How can we actually engage the world? How can we confront it with radical love? How can, instead of running away and creating an encore, how can we engage the world with the issues that they're dealing with and show them perhaps another way? Our goal isn't to be right or to have our rights, constitutional justice or whatever it is. We might argue and we may even be right, but what does it achieve? What's our goal? That's an important question. We're here on earth to reach people with the gospel. And we do that by letting them see see God's radical love 
and see his kingdom in action. Not just waiting to be active again, but see his kingdom in action right now. Remember I suggested that there might be an opportunity here for us? What if we do engage differently than expected with some of the discussions and some of the things that are going on? What if we respond unexpectedly? What if we allow the world to see that Jesus' love really does change people? That its power and reach is much greater than any pandemic or issue. That the I am brings peace in the greatest storm. What if that captured our focus, our attention? What if that dominated our conversations? And what if that motivated our actions? I would love to grow in my response now and always. I would love seeing, to see that, that we become people that others run to, find peace in, find comfort in, find truth in, and find the strength to walk together in this situation. I want to do that with the people that I love, the people that are around me, with us as one hope. I'm not there yet. I don't know where this is going to end. I, I don't profess to respond right all the time. But I pray that God's Spirit in me, my time to dwell in the Word would grow and that the influence of the Spirit would grow. And I pray that for all of us as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that we know you and we know that you are the truth. And we know that to abide in you is to be at peace. To abide in you is where we can bear fruit and that, that fruit can look the same as the fruit that you had, Jesus, the fruit that you called us to, to live out. Peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Not keeping record of wrongs, not, uh, not speaking out against people. God, I pray that you would teach us more and more to reflect you to the world. Lord, I pray for myself. It's hard at times. I recognise that I'm emotional. I get angry. I get annoyed. I get frustrated. I, I feel robbed. I feel that it's been unjust. And, and I acknowledge that we all feel that. But Jesus, I acknowledge most of all that you must have felt that in an incredible way. And yet you loved. And that love reaches all the way to me. I am now the recipient of that love. You've drawn me into the kingdom and asked me to be an ambassador of that same kingdom to a hurting world. Always, but especially now in the times we're in. I pray that we would understand how to do that. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, move in us, remind us, nudge us, teach us, draw us closer to you. God, we pray for an overwhelming sense of your truth to be part of our life and an ability to show that to the world. And I pray these things in and through your name. Amen.